Uh, who used to watch the show, uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Anybody watch that show? It's been a little while. I know I'm dating myself just a little bit. But that when that show first came out, I think a lot of America really enjoyed watching the, this idea that you could answer questions, trivia questions, and in that moment, that day, that, you know, one hour show, you could walk away a millionaire. So kind of add this like level of excitement compared to other trivia shows. Uh, a few people actually did win. The first person to ever win, his name was John Carpenter in 1999, and, and he won. And this was the question. Which of these U.S. presidents appeared on the TV series Laugh-In? He phoned a friend and called his dad, and his dad had the right answer. A, Lyndon Johnson, B, Richard Nixon, C, Jimmy Carter, or D, Gerald Ford. The question is, which U.S. president appeared on Laugh-In? Who thinks that they could answer the million-dollar question? Anybody raise your hand. All right. Nixon, it was Nixon. However, John, I don't have a million dollars to give you, but... But um, I'll take you out to lunch this week. So he's in my men's group. We do lunch together a lot. So it's good. Uh, so, you know, this idea of answering a question to win a million dollars. As we look at Ecclesiastes, we're going to see that he had the million dollars. In fact, he made about, his salary was about $23 million in gold in addition to just everything else, the perks of being the king of Israel during its most prosperous time. He was just one of the wealthiest kings that we've ever seen as far as the, the power and control that he had in that region of the world during that time as he was in Jerusalem. So I started this entire series with a Mark Twain quote that I'm going to bring back. Mark Twain said that it's so interesting that, that in life we, we start off young with all kinds of vigor and energy and then we gain wisdom in our later years. He's like, why can't life be the other way? Why can't we start in our 80s, become Benjamin Button, and go to where we become 18? You know, how great would it be if we could have the wisdom of age and combine that with the energy and vigor of being a youth? What if we can get it both and we can bring that in? What's so interesting, that's not typically how life works. We can gain wisdom. That's the joys of reading, is that you can be a young person and gain from wisdom of those who have gone before you. But we ask those same questions. Why am I here? What is the meaning of life? That's the, the, the theme for this series, finding the meaning of life. You heard me tell the kids that they were made on purpose and for a purpose, and we pray that over our church and our youth every single week here is that we believe that everybody was made on purpose and for a purpose. So how do we find out what that purpose means? What does that purpose look like? What is the meaning of life? One of my takeaways from spending almost three months just studying a, a rather short book of only 12 chapters, of studying Ecclesiastes, is that as we go through life, everybody has like this idea of, if I can just get that next thing, if I can just get that next thing, then I'll be happy. If I can just get that boat, you know, and a truck to pull it, you know, and that you can go through and you can have just that, that perfect life. Well, then eventually I've got to get that garage for my truck and my boat. And then when I can get that actually on the canal, so I don't actually need to have a truck to pull it. I can just, and you, you follow that game. And we always think that once I get that, once I chase that carrot, eventually I'm going to find meaning in life. And I think what's so interesting is when you see the extremely wealthy, the extremely famous, and they've actually done that. The very first week, we looked at a letter from Elvis Presley that was found in his trash can. 
in the room that he passed away in. You know, and, and he was essentially saying, I feel so lonely as he was writing that last letter. But yet he even mentions God in that last handwritten note found in his trash can. That once people find out all of the wealth, all of the fame, all of the, you know, pink Cadillacs, giant houses, whatever it is that you want, once you have it all, that there still isn't fulfillment. That there still isn't there. And that's essentially the diary that we have here from Solomon. Is that after he achieved it all, he tried it all. That there still was something missing. But the good news is, the very last three verses, he remembers the faith of his youth. And he gets drawn back. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes. Um, I'm going to actually go back and read verse 1 of chapter 1. Um, if you've got it and you want to look it up. It's page 620 in my Bible. It might get you close if you're looking in a Bible. Um, and you can look it up. It's Ecclesiastes, but we'll also have the verses on the screen. Uh, if you're watching online and you grab the app, it pretty much has every verse on the screen in the notes. And so you can follow along there as well. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. If you read it in the King James, the New King James, it says, vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. That everything that we look at at life, that there's just, there's got to be more to this. That there's nothing left over when it's all said and done. What do people labor, what do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? That phrase under the sun is throughout this entire book. Because that's his perspective that he has. He's just simply looking around at what he can see. What is tangible. What is happening in his life around him. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, and hurries back to where it rises. Another day just keeps on coming. He's recognizing that there's a pattern to this life. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All the streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. What's he recognizing here? That there's just this continual cycle in life. We have dry days, and then all of a sudden it rains. The rain falls in the mountains. It becomes a stream. It works its way back to the seas. The clouds come up. It's just over and over and over again. But yet, all things are wearisome. More than one can say, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. There's never enough. And we're going to see he tried it all. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which we can say, look, this is something new. This is the newest gadget, he's saying. This is the newest phone. This is, this is, next year there's going to be a new one. There's always something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. Uh, if you're taking notes to the app or you want to pull them out of the bulletin, I've got a place you can follow along. The first thing we're going to look at here is the person, the person of perplexity. This person, this King Solomon, this incredibly interesting person who also gave us the book of Proverbs, which is so full of just incredible wisdom and teaching on how to live life. He also wrote the Song of Solomon, which was a beautiful poetic statement that he made for the love that he had for in this case, probably for his wives, perhaps one, but he had many. 
And he writes this very poetic verse. The text says, son of David, and it mentions that he's in Jerusalem. So those are kind of the ways that we can know that this is Solomon. This is the only son of David that was a king of Israel from Jerusalem. And so we know that this is, in fact, David. It says, teacher, your version may say preacher. And as we look at this word that's translated there, it's actually the same word that we get. Ecclesiastes, which is the same word that we get. Ecclesia, which is the same word that we get for church. This assemble together, this bringing togetherness. So essentially what is happening in this book, he's maybe not a teacher or a preacher, but he's collecting all of his thoughts from life. All that he has experienced, all that he has perceived, and bringing it together for us to review. So you have, in fact, in your hands, a journal, a diary of one of the wisest, most powerful people in history. The one thing that we will see is that he definitely, at this stage of his life, even though he is quite wise, he's also a pessimist. That He's looking at everything from a negative perspective. I heard this story of two neighbors. These two neighbors, one was an optimist, one you'll see as a pessimist. On a sunny day, he looked up and said, what a beautiful day that God has made. His neighbor said, all that stupid sun, it's going to uh, scorch the crops that I just planted out back. The next day it rained and the optimist said, beautiful, we need the rain, God is good. The pessimist said, yeah, it's going to wash away all the seeds that I just planted. Well, this went on, and the optimist invited the pessimist to go duck hunting with them, which was his favorite activity. They were in a boat early in the morning. They saw the duck, and boom, his gun went off, and he got his target, and the duck dropped. The optimist had his dog chase after it, but they were in a boat, and the dog ran across the water. He looks at his neighbor and says, that's awesome. He goes, your stupid dog can't even swim. <laughs> Certain people just look at things and they can always find that negative. And I think the reality is, I've been there. Just ask my wife. You know, she'll have moments where she'll be like, you're in a bad mood. Fortunately for me, I can kind of tell sometimes and I'm like, yep, I am. You know, and, but sometimes that's the last thing you want to say to a person who's in a bad mood. You know, he was the pessimist. He's just in a bad place. You look at verse 3. What do people gain? That word gain is really the word profit. What is left over? You know, we can understand that. You've worked hard in life. And where is that margin might be a really good word. Where is your margin to enjoy life? One week I shared a bunch of statistics about how much time in our life we spend on different activities. One I didn't share was that the more education you have though in America, the less free time you tend to have available. And just think about that. You go to these extra levels of school to be good in business, engineering, in a medical field, whatever it is, and you go to school so you can have a better life and provide for your family, but yet you tend to have less free time. And I think some of us could agree with that. If I could go back to when I was working on my bachelor's, making $10,000 a year, I got married. I was 21. Angie was 19 on our wedding day. I was making 10 grand when I got married and I was being a youth pastor. And we had all kinds of time to spend with youth kids and just enjoy the life. And the more we went to school, the more responsibilities we get, the more we tend to work. This idea of what do people gain from their labors at which they toil 
under the sun. What is main gain? What is left over? And here's this question. After we've tried all the different enjoyment of life, we've tried this, we've tried that, what is left over? What is to gain from all of this? We've purchased this item. We've taken that vacation. We've, we've sucked dry all the pleasure we can find under the sun. But I still feel like there's something missing. And that's where Solomon is in this entire book because his perspective is only horizontal. Very rarely does he look up to see what God is doing in this time. He was the wealthiest person on life. It says in 2 Kings, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He had more women that were available to him than almost anybody could probably imagine on earth. He tried it all. But we see in Ecclesiastes in verse 12 and 13, the preacher was king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under the sun. This burdensome task God has given me to the sons of man by which they may be exercised. He's like, all right, guys, I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to be the richest. I'm willing to have the most. I'm willing to make the most money. I'll try everything life has to offer. I'm willing to take that responsibility so I can share with you all what it's like. So we're thankful that he's done that for us. We're going to look at the different paths that he's tried. And we're going to look at it and we are going to use some cotton candy today. This almost got thrown away, and we were able to find it at the last second. How many people would be honest, I don't care how old you are, that you like cotton candy? I love cotton candy. I think, Alex, you don't like cotton candy? Why, why don't you like cotton candy? Yeah, Angie says, I feel like I'm eating hair. So she's like, I can't eat it. And maybe for one person here, I just ruined it. You're like, I liked it, but now I'm going to feel like I'm eating hair, and I'm not going to like it. So we're going to use cotton candy today to kind of help us understand. Um, if you don't know, it's really difficult to make cotton candy in Florida. And it doesn't want to last very long. Heat and humidity destroy cotton candy in minutes. And so that's why I have all these little plastic baggies, was just so it would last from yesterday. So we're going to see, I like cotton candy. If you don't, play along. Cotton candy, maybe it's not great for you, but it's not bad. It's nothing that's like extremely hurtful. And that's what we're going to kind of look at. As we look at these different experiences in life, we're not saying that any of these things in themselves are necessarily bad. Working's not bad. Having a nice, uh, you know, shiny object is not bad. But does it fulfill is the question that we're asking today. So the first thing we're going to look at is from Ecclesiastes 1, verse 16. I commanded with my heart, saying, Look, I have attained greatness. And I've gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge. And I set my heart to know wisdom and know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is grasping for the wind. So the first path that we see here is the path of learning. And many people have gone down this path. They've gone down the path of learning thinking if I can get enough education, if I can get enough knowledge, if I can find out the truth and read all the sacred texts that are on earth, if I can just continue to explore all that I can finally find meaning in life. And so if you don't know, if you take cotton candy and you just try and add that into your life, what's kind of cool about cotton candy is it just kind of doesn't ever fill anything up. So we're going to try the path of learning and see how well that does, and we'll, we'll continue. 
he sees that as he tries all this wisdom, he tries all these different activities, it doesn't fill him up. And what's so interesting is I know a lot of really, really smart people who I see go down the same path. In fact, the further they go down some paths, the further from happiness it brings them. The further from a relationship with God it brings them, and it takes them down a path that doesn't lead them towards God at all. As it says in verse 13, that phrase, I set my heart. It says in 16, I communed with my heart. At this point, he's not looking up towards God at all. He's only looking at himself. How can he find purpose? How can he gain enough knowledge? to see where God can begin to find a place in his heart. We shared this a lot early on in the message series. Corey Tenboom was a person who um, spent a lot of time in Nazi concentration camps, uh, her and her family for being Jewish. And she wrote a lot while she was in there. And it's amazing to see a person who is not living in luxury, a person who is not living in any kind of comfort, in fact, the quite opposite. Daily, she was not eating because she wanted older people to be able to eat her food. She was giving up the little ration she had so other people could survive. In the midst of that, she said this, If in life you only look around, essentially under the sun, you will be distressed. If you look within, if you only look into yourself, you will be depressed. But if you look to Jesus, you can be at rest. There in that extreme situation, she was able to see that in those moments, if she simply looked under the sun at the here and now, and we, none of us that I know of have been to those extremes that she lived in. But I know a lot of your stories and I know my own. And the idea that we have these moments where you can have a day that you look around and say, where is God in this? Where is God in this? And then you just what do you do? You close up and you pull within yourself and say, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to gain more knowledge. I'm going to figure out how to get my family through this, whatever it is. But in those moments, she's saying, those are the moments more than ever to look up. Find Jesus and you can be at rest. If not, you'll be like Solomon who is simply distressed and depressed. The first path is the path of learning. Solomon takes another path in chapter 2, and it's the path of partying. He takes the path of partying. If you didn't know that, but in the Bible, it shares very clearly. Preston, you want to help me out up here? You don't have to. Come on up, bud. This is my son, Preston. Preston, help me out with this so I can, we can keep on doing this. So when I say things, just keep on putting some cotton candy in. So he looks at the path of partying. So if you thought that you'd thrown some big parties, well, Solomon had big parties. Check this out, Preston. It said that he had 150 bushels of choice flour. So let's try the best food. Just start putting it in there. He had 300 bushels of meal. He had 10 oxen, Preston, from the fattened calves. 10 oxen from the fattened calves. He had 20 pasture-fed cattle. He had 100 sheep or goats, as well as many deer, gazelle, and the most choice fowl on earth. Is it filling us up yet? All right, well, we got a lot more in there, so let's keep on putting some in. So that was the amount of food that it says in the Bible that it was. <laughs> For his daily party. If you're actually trying to understand that, they estimate that there is 3,500 people. So Preston, what if we bring a lot of people to our party? Will that fill us up? Nope, nope, not going to fill us up. It's still not going to fill us up. He mentions also in the text that, let me read it. I said in my heart, come now and I will test you with 
fun, joy, laughter, he says, myrrh, is the word that he used here in the text. Therefore, enjoy pleasures, but surely this also was vanity. I said of laughter and madness and of fun, what does it accomplish? I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine. Let's try wine. And don't think that Solomon was like getting like the $10 buy one, get one, you know, from Publix. You know, this guy had the most choice wine and he tried them. Now, you know why I'm not touching it while I'm over here. The most choice wine available on earth. He tried the best wine. It didn't fill him up. He mentions laughter. He mentions comedy. You can just imagine he brought in, I don't know if it was a court gesture, maybe a stand-up comedian, whatever it was, but he brought in the funniest people that would come into the king. Would the best comedian, would that fill us up? Get a big, I like, I like comedy. This is like, you know, we're watching Jumanji with Michael Hart and The Rock. It's funny. Let's try it. What's his name? Kevin Hart. That's why you're up here. The young mind. All right. Still not filling us up. You know, the reality is, please understand what I'm saying. Comedy is a gift from God. I believe that we should smile more. We should laugh more, especially in church. We believe that God's given us this gift for fun, but it doesn't fill up what only God can fill up. And that's what we're saying. In fact, comedy can do the opposite at times, and it can cover up some real hurt in our lives. We can say jokes that are just a little bit sexist or a little bit racist, but that makes someone funny and laugh, and so we think that it's okay. But even though it's not okay, and it continues to just pour into who we are. So he mentions comedy and laughter, but it doesn't fill us up. The next path is in verse 4. We're in chapter 2. I built my works great. I built myself houses. Preston, we built houses. I planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards. By the way, how many shovels do you think he actually scooped? How many nails did he actually, you think, drove? But he says, I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water uh, pools from which to water the growing trees. He says, I, look at all that I've done as he paid and commanded people to do the work that he did. He did some absolutely incredible work. You can still go today to see these pools that were designed so they would fill up in the spring and they'd have water for the crops all summer long. He tried all these different things. He built and finished God's temple. It took 20 years to build it. His father started, he finished it. One of the greatest things ever built by man. And then after that, he spent 13 years building his own house. It must have been a pretty nice place. He tried to build it all. He built great cities that still exist today, like Gezer and Hauser and and, and Beth Haran and these cities that are still major cities today. He built all kinds of incredible places. He built a palace just for his wives, and he built a special one just for the wives that were the daughters uh, from Pharaoh in Egypt. He built and built and built. He tried to find it. Verse 7 says, I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions. So pressing, he had servants. Is it filling us up? No, it's not filling us up. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and special treasures. So Preston, I'm so glad I'm not doing this. Keep on filling it up. 
silver and gold. It says in scripture that he had so much silver that he made silver like stones. He made silver like stones. It was that plentiful that it was absolutely everywhere. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this, listen to this verse. I know I've been reading a lot of verses. Give me your attention on this one. And this was my reward from all my labor. You see, that's the difference that we're going to talk about today. This fourth and final path that we're looking at is the path of the experiment of acquiring more. He had more servants. He had more. He was trying more and more and more. Preston, I think we have some more cotton candy in there. All right, we got a lot more. We kept on trying to fill things up. Now, you and I, if we want to make more friends, we might go to the baseball field last night. We might, you know, go to a social event, try to make more friends, be polite, get to know people, find common ground, right? He simply would buy more. He would go out and pay people to come to his parties. And he would invite people in. And we all know that the friends that come around in those situations They're not caring for you. They're just taking from you. He continued to just feel empty inside as he was trying to fill things up, trying to fill that void. That's a big piece right there. You go ahead, just shove it in, man. You're good. Okay, try, okay, now let's calm down. I feel like you're getting a little messy there. All right. Benjamin Franklin said, a man has never achieved happiness through money, and he never will. Money does not have the ability or the resources to make us happy. Because he says, the more a man has, the more a man wants. It's just trying to fill it up. And we keep on shoving this kind of gross cotton candy in. And we keep on filling up. Preston, what does it taste like if you were to drink that water now? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, it actually isn't bad. We've tried it. First King says that he composed a thousand and five songs. He tried music. I could turn to music on bad days. I listen to music on the way to church. I love music. But he's saying if you're just trying to make music for yourself, it's never going to fill up. It's never going to satisfy. It's that temporary satisfaction that of getting that item when you get that new car. Preston, have we said that getting things are, are bad? No, but it's the priority that we put things in. All right, do you guys get the point? The cotton candy's never going to fill it up. All right. Thanks, bud. Yeah, go wash up. Thank you, Preston. There's a lot of pleasure in the world. Let's just be honest about that. There's a lot of really fun things. Let me be really honest. Sometimes sinning can be really, really fun. And I really did just say that. You've had those moments. You've had that life. But did it fulfill? Or did it just leave you more empty outside, desiring more and perhaps feeling worse? Whether it's physically the next morning or it's just that hole in your heart where you know that you've turned your back on God. You've turned your back on your spouse. You've turned your back on the person who loves you. You've turned your back on what you know to be true. Hebrews 11.25 says that sin is pleasurable for a season. Do you guys know that? The Bible admits that sin is pleasurable for a season. It, it, It reminds us of that, that after that season, you return back to the mundane and then life continues to be a drag. 
You know, and Solomon says, I'm the guy that tried it all. He's actually, I don't think, bragging in that verse that we read. He's pleading like a father does to his child. We've, I probably haven't been there completely yet, but perhaps you have been. Hey, man, you don't have to go find out what it's like. I've already done it, and it's empty. I've tried that life. I've done that. Please don't ever do what I've done. And that's where I think Solomon's at with this. He's pleading with you, saying, I've tried it all. And we're going to hear his conclusion of what he says here. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, we begin to see a different path. The first path is the path under the sun, which equals no peace if you're taking notes. The path under the S-U-N sun equals no peace. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything appropriate or beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts without the possibility that anyone can find the work that God does from beginning to end. He says everything's appropriate in his time. Everything is beautiful in its time. The creation was empty. The, the creation was void. But God came in and gave it purpose. And you know what he's saying here? What he's saying is, you have a hole in your heart because you are different than your dog. You are different than your pet. You are different than the wild animal. You were designed on purpose and for a purpose. And you were designed with eternity in mind. So there's something inside of you that wakes up and says, there's got to be more to life than this. There has to be more. This can't be it. It can't just be about finding the biggest shiny object. It can't just be about this. There's got to be more to life with than this. And that's because that's how you're designed. Because you were made in God's image to be in relationship with him. To be in relationship with others. You were designed for more than this. He didn't have something that was, I'm sorry, Solomon didn't have something that we have. Solomon wrote because he wrote from the experiences of what he could see and what he knew. He knew that someday there was going to be another path. But that path hadn't come yet for him. We have a path available that Solomon, with all of his wealth, all of his power, all of his riches, you have something that he did not. And it's the path to peace. And that path comes under the sun, the S-O-N, sun. You have the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ available to you. He didn't have that. He couldn't buy it. He couldn't acquire it. He couldn't go out there and get it. He couldn't build it. Because he couldn't do what only Jesus could do. And the same is true for you. You can't go out there and achieve something to have your sins forgiven. You can't go out there and build something. You can't acquire enough wealth to have your relationship with God made right. And that also means you cannot give enough money to a church to have that happen either. That's not how it happens. That the only path of peace is the path of Jesus Christ. You know, everything that we have here today, except for the food trucks, are free. Everything else we were able to pay for because of the generosity of others. And that's what Jesus is. He paid the price for what we could not pay for, though. He paid the price for our sins. He paid the price for our separation. He paid the price for the pleasures that we have desired for a season. 
You know, I wasn't sure if I was going to share this. I actually was thinking I'd say this for Easter, but I'm just going to say it. I've got my parents here today. I sent a message to a bunch of people for my, my dad's 70th birthday, and I asked a bunch of people to send videos. One person I reached out to on Facebook hoping they would respond, and it was my cousin that our family hasn't seen in, in a home with her husband or with her, her mother-in-law or with family since, what, before Christmas, around Christmas time? Almost two years now. Her father has passed away, my dad's brother. And I sent a message to her, and she actually responded. And here's what she said. She said, I would love to send a video for Uncle Pat's 70th birthday, but I can't right now. I've got a job. I'm trying to get myself clean. And then hopefully I can send a video. I'm going to tell you this message I I sent back to her. And I believe it's the same message that Jesus wants us all to hear. When we say, like, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. I want to get connected with what God's doing through my community. I want to make a difference through where God's working. We had missionaries in this place that are going to Nicaragua and just changing an entire city. They are buying hostels that were brothels and making them ministry houses. They're buying the bar on the corner that everybody did horrible things at, and they're making that a kid's house so they can have a a ministry to kids in the community. They are redeeming things in the name of Jesus Christ. We're a part of what God's doing through that. The message I send back to her is the same one that I know Jesus has for every one of you. Just come home. You don't have to get yourself clean. I said, Trisha, we just want you to come home. I just know that your husband wants you to come home. I I know that Aunt Beth just would love for you to come home. I know that my parents' house would be open. I said, my house is open. She's in Jacksonville. I said, I can come get you any single time that you want. Just come home. And that's the gospel is that you don't have to get yourself cleaned up. You don't have to get yourself looking nice. He'll take you just like this. This thing is sticky and a little bit gross. No offense, Preston. Your hands might look like his did with pleasure stuck all over them. And he's saying, just come. You don't have to go to the bathroom and wash your hands. Just come and I'll clean up. We'll do this together. And that's the gospel that we believe that God has given us through this church to share. Is that just come home. You don't get cleaned up to come to church. You don't have to get cleaned up to come to Jesus. But you come to Jesus and then he'll work with you. He'll forgive you. He'll love you. That's the good news that he wants us to bring. I love the idea that it says in Luke in the, in the Christmas story. That it refers to the coming of Jesus through the father of John the Baptist, and he declares that the Messiah is going to be the path of peace. You see, so many people think that Jesus is a destination. I'm telling you, Jesus is not a destination. You don't get to Jesus and say, okay, now I'm good. Everything's perfect in life. But no, you come to Jesus, and then he is with you for the rest of the path. That he comes with you, that he is not the path to peace, but Jesus is the path of peace. That you have Jesus with you when you go through life. He's with you on the hard days. He's with you on the good days. He makes life better on the good days, and he's with you on the hard days. That God comes with us. I know as a church, we're like, man, once we can get this church started, you know, things will be easier. 
man, once we can find a location, we got Gemini, we're like, things will get easier. Well, then things changed and we got kicked out of the school only because of COVID, no other reasons. And we got kicked out of the school. We're like, man, once we can get off the beach, it'll be easier. Once we can go to the park, it'll be easier. Once we can get inside, it's going to be easier. We finally got the building. It's like we can keep on thinking that it's going to be easier that next stop. But all I can tell you is the only way that we've made this is because Jesus is with us. And we've come together as a church to make this possible. You see, we've all been there. We've all had this idea that it's going to get better. But Jesus is saying, like, you know, just come to me as you are. Sticky hands, whatever it is. The pleasure might still be stuck all over you, but just come. Come to me and I will bring you peace. You see, one thing we've learned when we call thought like, man, 2020 is so tough if we can just get to 2021. But the change of the calendar didn't fix anything, did it? And that's the idea. We always think next year. And I'm telling you, the moment is always now to come to Jesus. It's always the moment of now. As we go to the final chapter 12, Solomon says, remember now your creator. See, he's finally looking up. Now remember your creator and the days of your youth before the difficult days come and the years draw near and when you say, I have no pleasure in them. Is that true for your story? It may not be true for everybody. Is that true for your story? That if you look at where you are now, it's not the faith you had in your youth. It's not the faith you had in your 20s. It's not the faith you had in your teens or your 30s or whenever. It's not what it used to be. He's saying, perhaps, just remember what that was like until all of a sudden the difficult days came. We had financial issues. We had health issues. We lost children. Whatever it is. Remember what it was like when it was good. Remember before you said 29 times in 12 chapters, it's all vanity under the sun. Remember what it was like in your youth. He goes to this very poetic time of aging. Uh, I'll do this real quickly. In the days when the keepers of the house tremble, that's your arms by your side to protect you. The strong men bow down, that is your legs in the difficulty of bending over. When the grinders cease because they are few, what is that? What are your grinders? Your teeth. And when they become few, they didn't have fake teeth back then like we do now. And those that look through the windows grow dim. What is that? Your eyes. When the doors are shut in the streets, that was actually a weird reference to the sinking of the mouth when you see a person who no longer has teeth and they kind of talk like this. That, that's what they're referring to. The sound of grinding is low. Again, you've lost your teeth and one rises up at the sound of a bird. You just don't sleep in anymore. Look up and down A1A at 5 a.m. but all the people walking. Eventually in life, you just don't sleep in, it seems like, anymore. And all the daughters of music are brought low. The music you used to hear is kind of hard to hear. It's gotten a little bit quieter. I never understand why older people are always telling me to turn down the music and then telling me they can't hear me. That doesn't make sense to me. Someday I'll figure it out, I'm sure. Also, they are afraid of height and the terrors of the way. What is that? The fear of falling. They, they know if I break my hip back then, it was not going to do well. When the almond tree blossoms, what is that? Yep, it's when your hair turns white. The grasshopper is a burden, difficulty and mobility, and 
Guys, this one's on the list, but it is last. And desire fails. For a man to go to his internal home and the mourners go about the streets. This is referring to eventually all of us will have a moment that we do die. Proverbs 16, Solomon also wrote, The silver-haired head is a crown of glory. If it is found the way of righteousness, it is found. That someday we'll have that wisdom, but someday it will come to an end. Verse 6, he says, Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed. Anybody know what the silver cord of the body is? Say it. Your spine. If you look at the bone marrow, there's, it's, it's like a grayish looking thing. That's what they thought of it. Or the golden bowl is broken. What is that? Or the pitcher shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the well. What's the well of your body? Your heart. They understood the heart was pumping. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vandy of Vandy, says the preacher. Say it with me one last time. All is vanity. Towards the end of the book, he finally turns back to God. He has this moment where he looks. Someday we're going to get old, but maybe you're going to break your crown before you even get there. Are you ready right now for eternity? That's what he's asking. Are you ready right now for eternity? Are you still trying to chase the pleasures of today? Are you still trying to get that next shiny object? Still thinking one more time, and then we'll figure it out. His father David wrote in Psalm 103, Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers we bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone as though we had never been before. This conclusion, the very final verses, read with me here, verse 13. Here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. This is his summary statement of everything. For this is the full original purpose of God's creation. The object, oh, I'm sorry, this is how the Amplified Version says it. For this is the full original purpose of God's creation. The object of God's providence. The root of character, the foundations of all happiness. The adjustment to all um, inharmonious circumstances and the conditions under the sun. The whole duty of every man, this is it. This is the very conclusion. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is it. These are the thoughts. Fear God, obey God, and we should be prepared to meet God at any given moment. That's his conclusion. The wisest man it says that ever lived. God gave him all wisdom on earth. He had all wealth on earth. He had all power. And he says these are the three things. Fear God, obey his commands, and be prepared at any moment to meet your maker. That's his conclusion in life. You know, he's not saying that we should have a, a, a superstitious fear. We shouldn't think of him as the wizard of Oz. That there's some God that we have to tremble and be afraid of. That we can be as close to him as a sheep is to a shepherd. But we also should fear him in the sense of keeping his commands. It says, obey God to fear God and to keep his commands. And Jesus said, if you love me, if you love me, Jesus said, you'll keep my commands. You see, it's this idea of just 
being close with God and having that relationship with God, coming close to him and being with him, knowing that we can rest in God in that moment. I've got one last story if the worship team actually wants to come up. Uh, I've shared this story for about a year or so now. Um, with the youth group, I've been sharing it for a couple of years. There was a girl in my youth group, and uh, her name was Jane Marcheski. Go ahead and bring the picture up. Anybody see her on America's Got Talent? Jane, when Angie and I were at a church called Vineyard Columbus, and we were working with the youth ministry, her and her brother led our, our worship team. Thanks, Jenny. And I got a chance to hear Jane lead worship. And it was absolutely incredible. Some of you know her from Liberty University, the Washburns. She actually sang at their wedding. Just a beautiful person inside and out. If you don't know Jean's story, she went on America's Got Talent and she sang a beautiful song called It's Okay. I'm actually wearing her t-shirt today. It says It's Okay on the back of my shirt. And she sang this song and they said, oh, so what have you been doing recently? She goes, well, not much. Um, I'm actually battling cancer. And he said, oh, I'm so sorry. And she said, it's okay. It's okay to not be okay sometimes. And she shared this just beautiful story of it's okay. She first got diagnosed with cancer when she was 21. She battled it. She was married young. She got diagnosed for a third time. Her husband said, I'm not going to continue to do this battle with you. It's too much for me to handle. He divorced her and left her in the midst of fighting this. When she passed away this past Sunday, one of the first things that I texted to a bunch of youth group guys as we were reminiscing on stories was, I'm so glad the entire world got to know how special Jane was. She got the golden buzzard by Simon. You can look it up on YouTube. Please do. It's definitely worth watching. And then two weeks later, she had to withdraw from the show because she physically wasn't able to continue. But the world got to see how beautiful she was. She said these words. She said, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. If you're lost, we're all a little lost, and it's all right, which is actually what the front of my shirt says. If you feel like you're a little lost right now, I almost didn't share Jane's message because I feel like I don't want to share it so much and I'm taking advantage of it. But then I listened to all the things that she had said and wrote. And I actually am saying it today in honor for the life that she lived. And the fact that she's continuing to impact people. And so I want you to hear the message that she shared. And it's okay. If you're a little broken right now, if you're a little sticky, if you're a little messy, it's okay. You don't have to get perfect. But God is here for you today. And it's okay. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm so thankful for this day, Lord. God, I'm so thankful for what you've done. God, I just want to just declare in this moment that we can say that it's okay, that Jane could say that it's okay because she knew where her eternity rests. I know that she was frustrated, that she battled cancer for a third of her life, I know that she was frustrated and questioned at times, why, God, is this happening to her? God, we live in a broken world. Some days we're reminded of that more than others. But God, you designed us for more than just what we can see under the sun as you designed us for eternity. God, I know that Jane is joining so many others and joining just in the, in the chorus of praise, of singing to you this Sunday. But God, I also believe that no one 
could ever sing quite like her. And that you are just enjoying her presence as she is enjoying yours. God, I pray that for anyone who's hearing this message today and they feel like they've got to get cleaned up before they can really get right with God, speak to them right now and say, it's okay. That they can come to you right now, however they are, admit that they've sinned, believe you died on the cross, and they can commit their life to you. For some here, they've done that maybe more than once, but they're continuing to struggle. And God, tell them that it's okay and to remember the faith of their youth. Remember the day they were baptized. Remember the day that they went under the waters and then came back up, representing that you had washed away every sin on their life. God, allow them to remember that faith and know that you never left them. You will never forsake them. You will never turn your back on them, even when we turn our back on you, because it's okay. God, if there's anyone here, allow them just to say this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I admit to you that I have sinned. I have enjoyed pleasure for a season, but I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I choose to commit my life to you. With head bows and eyes closed, if you had to say that prayer today, maybe for the first time or you just needed to declare that to God, just raise your hand so I can just be praying with you. Just let God continue just to speak to you and guide you. God, thank you for the work that you're doing here today. God bless each and every one of you who God is working for your life. Jesus, thank you for this moment. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, let's stand and close in worship. The storm surrounding me, let it break at your name. Still, the call the sea to still, the rage in me to still every wave at your name, Jesus, Jesus. You made the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. You silence fear, Jesus, Jesus. You made the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. Breathe and call these bones to live. And call these lungs to sing once again. I will praise Jesus, Jesus. You made the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. You silence fear, Jesus, Jesus. You made the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. You made the 
darkness trampled Jesus, Jesus You silence fear Jesus, Jesus You make the darkness tremble Jesus, Jesus Cause your name is a light That the shadows can't deny Your name cannot be overcome Your name is life forever lifted high Your name cannot be overcome Jesus, Jesus You make the darkness tremble Jesus, Jesus You silence fear Oh Jesus, Jesus You make the darkness tremble Jesus, Jesus, oh, 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 Jesus, we worship the name Jesus, oh, Jesus, Jesus, come on, will you sing his name, oh, Jesus, Jesus. Your name is a light that the shadows can't deny. Your name cannot be overcome. Your name is a light forever lifted high. Your name cannot be overcome. Come on, let's sing this out. in this world that all we have to do is drop and say Jesus Jesus and you will make the darkness flee Lord settle our hearts and our minds and let us walk in the victory and the joy that only comes from having our firm foundation planted in you as our rock and our Lord and our Savior our King of Kings our God of Gods thank you thank you thank you God you are in this place today. Thank you for the lives that are here, the hearts that are here, for the joy that you bring and the peace that comes when you enter the room. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Guys, I just hope that you enjoyed this morning. I pray that you will go out of here today. Whatever work the Holy Spirit has started in your heart, don't leave it here. This is just the beginning. 
Okay, this is the appetizer. The meal is out there. And, and literally, there's food trucks. But I do, I do want you guys to take with you what God is speaking in your heart. Keep letting that marinate over the rest of this week. Stay in the word, okay? Develop that for yourselves. Love all of you. Please stay. Enjoy. There's bounce houses. There's plenty more cotton candy. Hopefully some wet wipes. And there are food trucks. So please enjoy. And just let's just be a family and have fun together, all right?